Thank you for downloading this episode of Pardes Live and Miniseries, featuring Rabbi Herzl Hefter. This recording took place during the 2019 Winter Pardes Learning Seminar, Shaping Meaningful Relationships in a Lonely World. If you're interested in joining us in 2020 for the Summer Pardes Learning Seminar, please contact seminar at pardes.org.il. spectacular students, including two of our female faculty. Uh, Leora is actually the daughter of one of them. Uh, you'll meet those faculty, I think, over the course of your week. Uh, and um, I, I can only say about uh, Rabbi Hefter, who taught at Pardates, uh, taught at a previous institution that I directed, Madrasha Lindenbaum. We go back. Yes, we go back. We go back. Almost to Poland. Oh, we, we, went, and we went to Poland together once. No, no, we didn't go together. But, but uh, Herzl's father actually was rescued by a righteous Gentile uh, during the war. And through that information, I was able to have a group of students meet with the righteous Gentile probably about 20 years ago. Um, but what I really want to say is that uh, the ethics of the fathers, Kerkevot, teaches us the study of Torah goes well with Derech Eretz, which I'll interpret in a moment as menschlichkeit, uh, right, being a mensch. And I'd like to say that we have the privilege to have Rabbi Hefter here, who's an example, really a prime example, uh, of great Torah scholarship, uh, as well as wonderful menschlichkeit. So... Thank you very much. I don't know what I did to deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> you did many things to deserve that. All righty. Thank you, David. And it's always nice to come back and teach in Pardes. Uh, um, so my name is Herschel Hefter. I have taught here in the past, and I've taught in a number of other institutions. And I now have Beit Midrash for Beit Midrash Har'el, which is located in Abiyah, um, where we give smicha uh, to men and women together, and um, I encourage anyone who's in the area to come and uh, come and visit. Um, what I'd like to speak about today is um, the journey of Avram Avinu. And um, what I would like to do is break up our time. We have about an hour and a half together. To about the first half hour to learn the Chagruta. There are a number of sources here. Um, I want to look at the physical journey of Abraham Avinu, that's the journey that's described in the Torah, going from Ur Kasdin to, um, to El Haaretz Asher Eka, to the unknown land, right, which turns out to be the land of Canaan, um, to look at that physical journey as representing a spiritual journey. In this, I'm not original. Right? That's the way it was uh, interpreted, that the outward journey is symbolic of an inward journey. Uh, so what comprised, what comprised that journey? So there are a number of sources here, which I just want to um, orient you. Um, the first one is translated into uh, English. The other one, see if you have the other ones. Yes, the other ones are also translated. There, there's a well-known midrash, and there are different versions of the midrash. It's on page, it should, um, page... 31. <laughs> 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 
Midrash that tells about uh, Avraham uh, coming upon a. Um, it's hard even the translation is already an explanation, but coming upon some sort of structure which is lit up or burning, and that leads him to discovering God. It's called the story of the Birah Doleket, the burning or the lit up house. So there's a number of different versions of that Midrash. So I would like you to see them. The first one is from Bereshit Rabbah. The second one is Mishnat Rabbi Eliezer. The third one is Midrash Lekachto. I see the second source is not translated into English. So to, if you need the translation, to just do the ones that are translated. We'll discuss all of them anyway. Look for differences between them. And the main question is, when we talk about the, the, the structure which is burning, or the city, whether it's a city or a palace, whatever it is, what does that symbolize? That, that's what, or what is it a metaphor for? Okay, and how the midrash discusses it. So that's the first, um, the first three midrash, the first three sources. Um, then the next source is um, also just in Hebrew. I see, is from the Sfat Emet. So I'll just tell you what, what problem he's dealing with. <coughs> so you can have your antennas up. He's dealing with uh, a problem which really um, um, emerges from, en- from the text itself, from the, from the narrative in the Bible itself. Namely, why did God speak to Abraham? The Torah does give an explanation why God spoke to Noah, for example. It says Noah was a righteous person, and God said to Noah. Right? But by, by Abraham... There's no such introduction. Out of the blue, So that's why we have all these midrashim, to try to fill in the lacuna in the story. So, the, so that's what the Sfatimet, the Hasidic, um, Hasidic Rebbe from the 19th century, um, that's what he's trying to tackle from a, from a new angle. Okay? In a sense, the midrashim that I gave you also deal with that question. What what is the journey of Avram about? And now the Svatimet is why did God seek out Avram? Because the Torah doesn't really give an explanation. Okay? Um, finally, um, the next group of sources, um, I have here Meashiloach, which is which I did translate into English here, which also talks about Lech Lecha and that Midrash. And he has a unique take on the Midrash, the story of the burning house. Then we have um, a short um, clarification of the Meashiloach. And finally, something about the nature of, uh, of the covenant with Abraham, which I hope we get to. <coughs> okay. So I would suggest if you could break up the Kabutok, maybe just the person sitting next to you. And for the next half hour, just go through the Midrashim here, see how. Um, how they're different. If you read them all quickly together, they sound like they're the same. But they're, they're really speaking from a different vantage point. As I said, the way we want to look at the journey of Avraham is well, the Torah describes it as a physical journey from one location in the Middle East to another location in the Middle East. Um, but already in the in the narrative, the way the Torah tells the story, um, the destination is not clear. That already makes it not a regular journey. 
that create mm -hmm. that in, injects faith and uncertainty into the into the journey. Uh, so I want to just begin with the midrashim. That's just uh, by way of a still of a slight more of an introduction. If you've ever read um, Joseph and His Brothers by Thomas Mann, it's right? so, a long time ago. Right? Yeah, I know people who've read it. It's <laughs> 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 close as I've come. It's an undertaking. It's one of the thousand pages. Yeah. Right? Um, so he describes Avram Avinu as, uh, he calls him Abraham the moon wanderer, right? which is the moon sort of wanders along the sky, uh, through the heavens, and Avrovino, um, in parallel to the wanderings of the moon, so to speak, is a wanderer upon the <coughs> earth. And he basically <coughs> captured the idea that Avrovino's wanderings are not primarily physical in nature, or, or geographical in nature, but they reflect uh, an internal wandering. And very often those two things are connected. Somebody thinks that somebody can't sit still, they're always moving from place to place. It really displays not necessarily just a wanderlust for, for tourism, but that there's something unsettled inside which is being expressed by the external activity. So that's how I want to look at the story. And I think that, that looking at the story that way um, um, can be very uh, enlightening to us. And also it has roots in how we interpret the story of the Torah, the, the Torah story itself. Okay? So all that said, now let's begin with the, with the first Midrash. And as I said in the introduction, the Midrashim here are coming to fill in a lacuna in the narrative. Because there's no explanation in the Torah why God spoke to Avram. There is an explanation of why God spoke to Noah. Noah was a righteous person who walked with God. And then you understand why God speaks to, to Noah. But there's no such introduction for Avram. So that's why we have all these stories. Some of them maybe you heard in elementary school. And then I was surprised the story of the Kipshana Eish, of, the, of his willingness to go into the furnace. And I was surprised only when I got older. I said, where is that story in the Torah? Right? So the, the, those stories are so much part of the narrative, the way we tell the story of Avram, that we're not even clear on what's written in the Torah and what's Midrashim and what's folklore. And all that exists because of a lacuna in the story, because the story itself leaves something out. In other words, who is Avram and why did God speak to him? Okay? And that goes to the nature of his journey. Okay? So let's start with the first Midrash. Um, I'll go in between the Hebrew and the English, and please forgive me if I use a Hebrew word that you don't understand. Please stop me, because I'm used to teaching in Hebrew. Okay? <laughs> so it says, God said to Avram, Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha, this will become important later. Lech Lecha, it's a double language. Get thee forth. Right? It's sort of emphatic. It means not just Lech, not just go, but get yourself going, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's going to be important. Okay, lech lecha. Rabbi Yitzchak patach. Rabbi Yitzchak, um, Bereshit Rabbah is an early midrash from the time of the Talmud, right? The, the other midrashim are later. It's an early midrash. Rabbi Yitzchak is the sage of the Talmud. Patach, he opened up. When he learned this portion of the Torah, which said lech lecha, he opened up with the following verse. 
from, from Tehillim, from the book of Psalms. Right? This was a way of interpreting the book of Psalms speaking to the book of Bereshit. Right? The, the understanding of the different books, different episodes, <coughs> speak to each other. There's an inter, what's called intertextuality. Right? One part of the text talks not only, the text doesn't only talk to us, the text is talking to another text. Right? And we're listening in. Right? And that's what the Midrash does. Use one text and relate it to another text. So listen, let's just look at that passage carefully. Hearken, daughter, right? There's a maiden who's listening, right? Shim'i bat uri and see. And turn your ear and forget your people and the... Um, and the home of your father. Mm-hmm. So that immediately casts Abraham in a certain place. He's not leaving wherever he's leaving from with this sense of that he knows where he's going, with a sense of confidence. That's not the picture that we get. Like sometimes people embark on a journey, you know, it's gonna be okay. Or I'm going someplace, it's exciting. The hati, the shim'i bat, was all painting Avram as a young girl. Mm-hmm. So that makes him vulnerable. Right? And he, the young girl has to turn her ear. So there's something here which is subjective, which precedes hearing the voice of God. Right? This is, this pasuk, according to Rabbi Yitzchak, is a commentary on the story of Avram Avinu's Lech Lecha. Mm-hmm. So that, that, what? It could be a number of people, but he's applied. The fact that he reads it to, to Lech Lecha, he's saying this um, passage is a commentary on Avram Avinu's journey. <coughs> so Avram Avinu has to turn his ear and right? Um, so that's the connection. You have to forget your father's house. So he has to turn his ear elsewhere. There's something that moves him, and it makes him vulnerable because people in, on journeys are always vulnerable. It's, much more safe. it's always safer at home, right? And you're leaving your homeland behind and everything familiar behind. Uh, why, right? Because your ear, you're hearing something, okay? And that has to do with your willingness. Hatios is to turn your ear. Right, like lend me your ears, right? Mm-hmm. Is to turn is to turn your ear means that there's some sort of readiness inside which is preceding the narrative of Lech Lecha before God speaks to him. Now, I'm just reading, all I'm doing now is just taking what Rabbi Yitzhak said before I actually see what Rabbi Yitzhak said. The fact that he brought this pasuk, this verse from the book of Psalms already is a tremendous commentary on what Avram Avinu is going, what's going on inside Avram Avinu. Which, of course, the Torah itself doesn't tell us. The Torah very rarely tells us what's going inside people. Okay? All right. Uh, let's continue. So Rabbi Yitzchak commented on this, saying, This is a, a parable to one. Someone who was wandering from one place to another, and he saw okay, a city which was Doleket. Okay? A bira, it can be a number of things. Like we talk about Yerushalayim Habira, right? Mm-hmm. It's a city. 
It could mean a house, right? Or it could mean a city, right? Biradoleket. Now, I, I think I wrote this translation. I purposely didn't translate the word doleket. This doleket can mean a number, can mean two different things, right? I can tell you what I think it really means, but it was interpreted to mean something else. Biradoleket, the word doleket can mean burning, right? When you say lahadlik shel chanukah, means to ignite with fire, okay? Doleket can also mean lit up, not burning, but lit up, right? So a uh, birad doleket could mean a city which is has the lights on, right? Or birad doleket could mean a city which is burning down. Very different experiences, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Witnessing a catastrophe or witnessing beauty, like beauty in the urban landscape. Like it's really nice. The whole city is lit up. Like we, I mean, I was in Paris a couple of years ago. It's a work of art. You just walk around at night, and the city is lit up. It's a bira doleket, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not a bira, which you know, Beirut is a bira doleket, and, and Paris is a bira doleket. Mm-hmm. So what does the word doleket mean? That becomes very important. What is you know what is um, Avram Avinu responding to is very important. Okay, so he saw which city which was doleket. He said to himself, is it possible that the city has no master? Thereupon the master of the city appeared and said, I am the master of the city. Okay? Now, James Kugel interprets this midrash as follows. The text specifies that the building is all lit up, doleket. So he, he interprets it as something positive. And it is this light apparently emanating from the building itself that persuades the traveler that there must indeed, indeed be someone inside. Thus, Abraham, the astronomer, contemplating the lights emanating from the heavens, must have come to the same conclusion. Okay? So the birad doleket is a city or a house which is lit up. So if there's lights inside, there's somebody home. Right? So the nimshal, like what the metaphor is uh, pointing towards, is Avravino is looking at the heavens and it's beautiful and it shows order and they must have gotten here somehow. So it's the cosmological argument for the belief in God. It's a medieval argument. Right? Um, so he encounters nature. So he discovers God in the beauty and the order of nature. That's Kugel's reading of this Midrash. Okay? Um, let's see a second Midrash. Let's bear in mind the two different possibilities. One, which we just read, is that the biradoleket is order. Hashamayim, this is a midrash um, from um, the 7th to 8th century, Mishnat Rabbi Eliezer. Hashamayim nikuu kedoshim. The heavens are called the holies. Shene'emar hashkifa mimo'on kotshecha min hashamayim. There's a, a pasuk in, um, in the book of Devarim that there's a prayer to God, look down from your holy dwelling place from the heavens. Okay? So the heavens are called the holy dwelling place. The Lama Nekru Kedoshim, and why are the heavens called holy? Sheshmo Shalachadosh Because the name of God becomes sanctified through the heavens. How is that? When people look at the heavens, this is very similar to what Kugel said. 
right? They have to they have to recognize that there's a creator, right? So this is just, so it's not necessarily the uh, it's the it's not the, the argument from order. It's the argument from from creation, okay? But it's the same idea, okay? V'chein David Omer kir Right, and in Tehillim we also see that that when King David in Tehillim says that when I see the skies, which are the which is the handiwork of your of your fingers, right? To look at the heavens is God's handiwork. Okay. Now they continue. Kachaya Avraham Avinu mekish b'da'ato ve'omer. So Avraham Avinu reasoned in his mind and said, "Ilu Adam hayam ha'lecha midbar u'matza biradu Would a person be walking in the desert and find a lit city? Would he say that there's no one home, that there's no owner, there's no master? So they're just like if you came across something in the wilderness where clearly people lived, you would say that somebody built this place. So the world is like that as well. Okay? So this, this uh, Midrash supports what Kugel said. Right? Namely, Avraham Avinu is contemplating nature. Right? And in that, he says, there must have been a creator, there must be someone who's in charge. Okay? Now, um, I want to take these, this midrash and juxtapose it to the next midrash. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, this midrash is even later. This is from the 11th century. Um, I'll read it in English. Okay? Rabbi Yitzchak said, to whom may Avraham, our father, be compared? To one who was walking from place to place and saw a palace on fire. Okay, why did I say on fire? Because it still says here, Biradoleket, mm-hmm. right? But from the context, you'll see. Amar, okay, he said, is it possible this palace has no leader? The master of the palace peeked out at him and said, I am the master of the palace. So how do I know that it's on that it means fire here and not just illuminated? Let's look at the continuation. Similarly, this is a continuation of the Midrash, 20 generations passed from Adam to Avraham. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the story of Parshat um, Breshit and Parshat Noah. Yeah. Okay? Some of them corrupted their behavior. The generation of Enosh, the generation of the flood the generation of the division, the Tower of Babel. From the Tower of Babel, Avram emerged. So what is the Biradoleket? Think of the Tower of Babel. It's the next generation. Just think, I, I, it's, Tower of Babel is needless to say biblical, right? Mm-hmm. But I always think of the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. right? so picture for a moment, yeah. well, picture for a moment the collapse of a civilization. Mm-hmm. Because what is language? Language is the glue that holds society together. So if the people begin to speak different languages, it's not just a technical thing that I'm speaking French or you're speaking Japanese, that we, we don't understand each other on the most basic level. Like the glue that holds our civilization together has come apart, so that's the collapse of civilization. So it's the tower <coughs> coming down. It's not just this, because it's a little... See, it's, it's, all, it's, a, it's the fault of the artists of the children's books. 
right? Because they make like the, the, the Teva of Noah, like this nice colorful thing mm -hmm. with the animals, right? And they don't realize it's like a Shoah. Like everybody yeah. dies, right? Wow. And, and the Tower of Babel is this like tall thing, yeah? but civilization collapsed, right? Uh, so, so this is what Avram sees. You had a question? Yeah, I was struck by the Tower of Babel because the Tower of Babel is like the opposite of, of Abraham. The Tower of Babel was people saying that they're going to meet God, that they're going to build the whole tower, they're going to be it. Right, and that collapsed. Right, so that's what he's witnessing. So he's witnessing the collapse of civilization. And what's his response to that? So his response to that is, from the Tower of Babel, Abraham emerged. Right? He's telling you that his journey, his journey has to do with experiencing a historical calamity. Not experiencing the beauty of the universe. A very different, very different um, starting point. Whether you're contemplating existence and the universe is beautiful and you feel at one with it all and you conclude that there must be a God. Here, the um, starting point of his journey is the destruction of civilization around him. And he began reflecting in his heart. That's very important, reflecting in his heart. Let's see the Hebrew. And we're going to talk about the difference between this midrash and the, and the previous midrash. Now, her belibo, he began reflecting or ruminating in his heart. Is it possible that the world has no leader? The Holy One, blessed be he, picked out and said to him, I am the first, I am the last, I am the ruler of the world. Hence it is said, God said to Abraham. Right? That's his left look. That's why it says left look. Right? So here, this is so different. When he says, the world has no leader. Well, first of all, let's say, let's, where did he find God? And what is this dialogue? So the first possibility is he found God in nature. In this possibility, he basically finds God in history. In very recent history, history that he himself experienced. But what is the um, his statement of is it possible that the that this has no leader? In the first reading, it's a very um, it's almost like a revelation. It's beautiful, right? So the so this is beautiful. This is awesome. So there must be a God. Is it possible that there isn't a God? The second reading, if he just witnessed the collapse of civilization, it's not like this is beautiful. The, the, the statement of where is, there a, where is the leader is almost an accusation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Where's God? It's not, oh, there must be a God. It's where is God? Is it possible that all this is happening and there's no meaning? How could such a thing happen and it have no meaning? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a, a personal story. I was, in, um, I, I was in the Himalayas about 10 years ago with my wife. It took me 20 years to convince her to go on the trek. So we were, we were trekking in the Himalayas, 
and we had a Tibetan guy. And you know, he was talking to me, uh, we were talking about karma, and if you're good, you go up, and if you're bad, you go down. And uh, so I asked him, why is that? Why is it that if you're good, you should go up, and if you're bad, you should go down? And he gave me, he was a very intelligent guy, he had a master's in economics from some, Indian, from some southern Indian university. But anyway, he looked at me with, with this blank look. I never felt so Jewish. <laughs> I had to go all the way to the Himalayas to feel Jewish. Yeah. Because he didn't understand the question, what was the meaning of it? What do you mean? That's the way it is. Like, if I ask you, why is there gravity? That's just the way it is. There's no... So I asked, like, why... There are these spiritual laws. If you're good, you float up. And if you're bad, you float down. It's like gravity. The fact that I asked, what is the meaning, like, basically betrayed my Jewishness. And that's rooted in this Midrash and in Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu is looking around, and society around him, civilization is collapsing. And he's saying, where is God? So it becomes an accusation rather than this hierophany and revelation. Um, now, there's something, if you look at the difference between these Midrashim, it's really very um, pronounced. The Midrash, the previous Midrash, which is clearly talking about the order in the universe, right, that the heavens are holy, and that's why, and God is revealed through them, and that's what Avraham Avinu saw. He saw the revelation through the heavens. It's very heady. It's all in his mind. The says, Kachaya Avraham Avinu minakish bida'atov Omer. Uh, he, he said in his mind, it's an intellectual discovery. And who actually tells the parable? There's a parable here, right? The parable is someone is walking from place to place and discovers the biradoleket. The, the, the That's the parable. Who tells the parable? So here, Avram is actually writing the Medrash, in a sense. Avram Avinu says, this is like if someone was walking in the desert and found the Birado Leket, what would they say? So it's, it's, it's removed. This isn't a story about Avram. This is a story about what Avram said. It's very different than the opening Midrash and the third Midrash, where the Midrash says Avram is the person who's wandering from place to place. In this case, Avram's not wandering. He's sitting there contemplating. And he came up with a metaphor, with a parable, to explain his, his thinking. That's very different. Mm -hmm. That is a very intellectual, top-heavy activity. Mm -hmm. I, and so we have two things about that. First of all, mekish bidatov Omer. That's not found in the other midrashim, and the fact that he is the one that creates the parable. That creates the parable. In the other two midrashim, you're talking about in number three, he creates. The in number in number two, he creates the parable. Hayam mekish bidatov Omer ilu adam hayam mahalecha midbar. He's creating the parable. So, the second source 
is much more of a philosophical type of activity. Mm-hmm. Right? Finding God through nature could be, that is still ambiguous. You can find God through nature because you can somehow experience the presence in the multitude of different phenomena that seem to blend together into a um, some sort of harmonious whole. And that can be like a mystical experience that you encounter in nature. There's the water form and the lightning and the thunder and the, and the and many different types of animals and, uh, and different types of plants and all, every animal is different, every plant is different, but somehow it all is harmon- lives harmoniously together. And you can have some sort of spiritual experience from that and then take it a step further and, and attribute that to God. That's one type of encounter with nature. That's not what the Midrash is describing. The Midrash is describing medieval philosophy, which is fine, because it was written in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Right? It's describing Avram Avinu thinking in his head, right. telling a story about discovering something and, and attributing some sort of plan to it. Whereas the third Midrash, that whole piece is absent. First of all, it's happening to Avram himself. The person who wrote the Midrash is telling the parable, not Avram. Mm-hmm. And what's really important is Mehar Her Bilibo. His heart. His heart. His heart is telling him something. And what is he responding to? He's responding again to historical calamity. Mm -hmm. And his heart is telling him this doesn't make any sense. And where is God in all of this? Very different type of journey. Mm -hmm. Now, let's, yeah. Uh, I am the first and I am the last. Uh, any comment on yeah, that's the Alpha and Omega? And uh, um, I think it puts God a little bit on the defensive. Yeah. Right? It's not just like, I'm here, but it's like the answer to Eo. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Who are you to attack me? I'm the first and I'm the last. It, it creates actually tension between Avram and God, where God has to assert himself. Mm-hmm. I'm God. Mm-hmm. Right? I just saw the movie The Two Popes. Anybody see it? Mm-hmm. Right? When he wants to go someplace, at the end, he wants to go someplace by himself, and the guy asks him, can you do that? Yeah, I'm the Pope. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's God. But, 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 I, but <laughs> I am the first and I'm the last seems to be a very strong description of theology. Could be. Mm-hmm. But we agree with that. Well, who got it first? It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So then we move... Now I want to take this past the Midrashim to Hasidic masters. And the, um, I would like to begin with the Sfat Emet, who was the founder, actually not, the grandson of the founder of Gera Hasidim. Mm-hmm. He lived in the 19th century in Poland, end of the 19th century. Um, let's just do the, um, the part which is... Um, in bold, the part in the bold. I'll read it in Hebrew, and then I'll translate it. Ramban Hiksha. Ramban, from medieval commentaries, asked, Shenemar lech lecha, beli shenizkar mikodem chibato. That's the question mm-hmm. we opened up, that the Torah says lech lecha, before it says why God found Avram dear. What was the explanation? And in the Zohar it says, 
This is such a Jewish answer. Mm -hmm. The question is the answer, <laughs> right? You can't get more Jewish than that. So the, it means that the answer to your question of why did God say to Avram Lech Lecha, the answer is in that, that God said Lech Lecha. Let's just see. Okay, well, it's not like, okay. That itself is the praise. Sheshama zehama'amar Lech Lecha. That Avram Avinu heard the call is the reason that he got the call. Okay. okay. Now this is very important. If you want to understand, you know, really standing on, I'm literally standing on one foot. That all of Chasidut is based on the following assumption: that all the things you say about God and all the stories of the Torah are really stories about yourself. Mm -hmm. So when God says to Avram Lech Lecha, it's a way of saying that God is always saying to every individual Lech Lecha, all the time. It's not something that happened once to Avram. Avram is a paradigm. We are all Avram Avinu, and God is always saying Lech Lecha to us, but how come you don't hear it? <laughs> That's the point. Right? He says... Tamid. Always. God is always saying Lech Lecha. I'll translate this as an Aramaic. Woe unto those that sleep when they're awake. Right? It means to be asleep when you're awake. To be like in a walking dream. You don't really hear what's going on. Okay? The Avram Avinu Shalom. And Abraham. Shama. He's the only one that heard the call. So he heard the call. So if you ask, why did God call Avram? Because Avram was the only person listening. That is already expressed in the Midrash. The first Midrash, Hatioznech, Hark in your ear. That's where he's getting it from, even if he doesn't quote the Midrash. But he knows the Midrash. It starts, the ability to hear has to do with the openness to hear. That's why, for example, there's another midrash about Moshe, just the same sort of idea. Were you thinking of that? Yes. Right, with, with turning the neck? Yeah. Yes. Right. So, so it says he, tur he turned his neck. And what does the midrash say? Like, is there was a miracle. That's the way the midrash talks. Right? There was a miracle. His neck like went out of place. So what does that mean? It means that in order to perceive God, you have to be open to turn. It doesn't happen by itself. You have to be open to the experience. Moshe Rabbeinu was open to the experience. How, That's what the Midrash wants how, to was, say. Was there anything that goes with Noah when he received the to make the teva? Did he did he have a turning of the head or? A no, Noah is a different story. Noah oh. is a very different story. So he That's wasn't. A, he wasn't I don't want to get into Noah. Noah is very similar to Moshe in some ways, but very different in other ways. Noah does exactly what he's told. No more, no less. Okay, and so that's no, good metaphor, and bad. no metaphor. Okay, no right. is, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, okay, let's continue here. Umemela nikra rak hadibur elav. And that's why the Torah describes the, the narrative as, as if God only spoke to him. Because he's the only one that heard. 
See, the, this is the Hasidic move. The Torah is describing some sort of exterior real, reality. God is on the outside, calling to someone, and someone heard. This is the other way around. The person has the capability of hearing, and that's why they hear it. Right. There was nobody else that heard, only him. That is the praise, and that is the explanation why God spoke, because he was the one that was listening. So that's the Sfatimer. So that moves the revelation from nature to history, but the true revelation is his own openness to hear. Mm-hmm. So we're moving inwardly. You start with astronomy. Those stars are very far away, even though they didn't have, in those days they had no idea how far away. Mm-hmm. But they knew they were far away. And then you move closer and closer. History is in the realm of human experience. The stars are not. History is in the realm of human experience. But here, the, um, the data of his experience is himself. Now I want to amplify that. And that, with that, I want to get to the Meashiloach. The Meashiloach, the next source, of Marcha Yosef of Ishvitz. Did anybody ever hear of him? Mm-hmm. I know. Um, he, um, you could say he was part of the revolution of Polish Hasidut in the beginning of the 19th century. Um, Let's leave it at that so that we have time to do this rather than for me to give you a whole lecture about the Meashi law. In any case, he looked at this Midrash. He brings a different Pasuk on Lech Lecha. The way the Midrash does, he brings the following Pasuk on Lech Lecha to describe Avram Avinu. Ketiv. Ki etzok ma'im al tzamei v'nozlim al yabasha. When I pour water on a, on a thirsty soul and liquid upon the dry earth. That's, that's his, um, that's the verse he quotes. And he understands that that describes Avram. So what does it mean when someone is thirsty and they're parched? It means they renewed so that they're ready to receive. When the water comes, it gets soaked up immediately. But there's a sense of need and desire and thirst for something. That's the openness. Now he goes and he starts talking about Avraham. When Avraham Avinu began, very interesting what he's searching for. The, the root of his life. That's where he's starting. He's not starting far, this is literally light years away from the astronomical <coughs> interpretation, right? where he's starting with the stars. He's starting with experiencing himself as alive. It's a very visceral experience to experience yourself as alive. That, and he says, where is, what is that? That's where he's beginning. He doesn't talk about God. He doesn't say he's searching for God. That would be too from. 
<laughs> he's searching for God. He's not searching for God. He's starting with a very physical phenomenon of himself. Himself as a living being. The most basic feeling that you can have is that you're alive. And he wants to get to the bottom of that. Acharei had been no, after he understood, Asher kol chemdat olam hazeh, lo yitaknu li yikarot b'shem chayim amitiyim. The life of this world is not the root of life. Why not? Ki kol chemdat olam hazeh, all the desires of this world, hurak lasir tirdot v'hamniyot. Philosophers realize this. Buddhists realize this very powerfully, and they reach this different conclusion, that life is basically suffering. If you ever read um, Schopenhauer or Nietzsche, life is a tragedy, because we're all going to die, and we know we're going to die, so there's existential suffering, and there's physical suffering, because you're always hungry, and, always, and you're always thirsty, uh, and you have all these desires that if you fulfill one, there are ten new ones. And so there's, so your whole life is basically um, a quest to alleviate pain by fulfilling. It's depressing, right? It's yeah, but um, so, but you, that's if you contemplate it for a moment, your life is this quest to alleviate pain. So he says, but that can't be. But what's the positive value to life? It must be something. So I believe. Let's say I alleviate all the pain. Now what? So for the Buddhists, that's what you have to do. The way to alleviate pain is to disconnect and not to desire anything. And then you reach some sort of contemplative bliss where you're detached from everything. That's the, that's the Buddhist response to this awareness. But the Mahashal is not a Buddhist. He had the same awareness that they had, and he even puts it the same way, he says, but that can't be all there is. Life has to be more than the alleviation of pain. And he says, right? After all the pain and the suffering, if I can do away with them, then what am I left with? Life has to be more than the, alle than the alleviation of that which is negative. There must be some sort of positive value or some positive phenomena which goes beyond the alleviation of the negative. Va'alzeh, okay, so now God comes to him. Va'alzeh amar lo Hashem yitbarach lech lecha. Now listen to his reading. Hainu le'atzmecha. This is a chassidish drasha. But it's in it's in um, it's consistent with the way Midrash reads Psukim. Mm -hmm. It's not lech lecha, get thee going, which is the pshat, but lech, where, lecha, yourself. go to yourself. Because he's telling go Abraham, you. you're looking in the wrong place. Oh you want to understand the meaning of your life. Don't look either at the stars. Or don't look at history, but look inside yourself. Hmm. And now he fleshes this out. Because you're right. Hmm. The alleviation of suffering 
is not what the core of life is. You'll find life inside yourself, at some place which is detached from that suffering. Now he's going to explain the Midrash. And that's what I want to he asked, who is the master of this city? Now he's being very careful with the language. It says, What does Allah mean? To yourself. Or to him. No, not to. Upon. Right, it should have been. This is key. Yeah. It should have said the master of the house appeared to him. Isn't that how you would tell the story? Yeah. He looks and he says, where's the master of the house? The master of the house says, here I am. Mm -hmm. So he appeared to him. But he appeared upon him oh. is something totally different. Cool. Right? It's very cool. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> It should have said to him, the law alav, and not upon him. So what does upon him mean? Now he's backing up, and he's going to tell the story his way. When Avram Avinu saw Esek Dor HaPlaga, when he saw the collapse of civilization in the story, in the story of the tower, right? Zoti Karei B'Shem that is the burning city. The burning city is the civilization which is collapsing. That's the birad doleket. Now, I think there's something else. There's another proof that doleket means burning. Because it's interesting. This midrash was written around the second or third century after the destruction of Yerushalayim. So it's Yerushalayim habirah which is the burning city. And when the sages wrote this Midrash, and they write it for as Avram accusing God, what is the meaning of this, and where, how does God let this happen? It's a veiled way of saying themselves, how could this have happened? What is the meaning of the destruction of Jerusalem? Mm -hmm. Where is God? That's the birad doleket of Yerushalayim habirah. That's my personal theory. Makes sense. But you don't need that for the Meashilah. Right? The Meashilah is talking about Avram. And he says, Zot yikarei b'shem birado leket, ki haya be'enav lefele ma'od. It was an amazement in the eyes of Avram. V'hirim b'napsho, and it stirred him up. Mi bara eleh, who created all of this? The master of the city appeared upon him. That is to say, that God responded to him saying, You should see inside yourself. Avram is continuously in need of redirection. Look inside yourself. What do you see? Nobody else is asking. 
you can try to imagine the collapse of a civilization and everybody is speaking different languages. Try to picture what that would look like. Mm. You have thousands of people running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Like a, a civilization of people with ADD, bouncing off the walls, right? Mm. And that's what's going on. And around all this chaos, there's one person just standing there saying, what's going on? Where is God? How is this happening? But he's the only one asking. So God says, look at that. Forget about what's going on outside. Notice something about yourself that you're the only one asking. The ain echad mehem sam alev lemor miasazot. Nobody else is asking about the meaning of this. Vaach beinecha yipale. But in your eyes, this is an amazement. Umehar omet libcha from the stirrings of your own heart to chalishaer asher bevaday nimtza borei hasovel kol almin umemalei kol almin vuhu. From contemplating yourself, you can reach, you can understand that there's a creator. How can you understand there's a creator? Because you're the only one that hears it. So your experience is not natural. Your experience is a revelation. From your experience, not from the stars and not even from the history around you, but from the stirring of your own heart, you can gather that there's something stirring your heart. So it wasn't Nevoah at all. It was beyond Nevoah, maybe. Uh, we have to get the definition of prophecy in order okay. to answer that question. It was a revelation. Okay. We all have revelations. The from the stirring of your heart, from the stirring of your heart, one recognizes that there is that someone, stirring, someone the stirring the heart. There's someone stirring the heart. The fact that I'm experiencing means that there's. But if you that, hearing, where is that coming from? That's the root. That is the source okay. that he's looking for. Okay. So where is the source of my experience of being alive? So you just look inside and contemplate your state. Got it. From that, we will see that there's something stirring that state, which goes deeper than the normal layer of your consciousness. Mm. Right, exactly. It dawned on the way the sun rises. It happens, it's, it's organic. It's not intellectual. It's not what the other, Midra, the other Midrash describes. Mm. He compared and he contrasted and he reached some sort of intellectual mm. conclusion. Right. This is the most Jewish thing you'll ever find. And this is why it says, Alav upon him. Hainu al the revelation, the answer is his question. He stirred up and he's saying, what's going on? That's the answer. Mm -hmm. The one that stirred you to ask what's going on, that's God. So now, one, so we have, until now we have two possibilities. What is the burning, what is the burning city? Or the lit city? Well, you think it's Jerusalem. No, no. no. <laughs> Leave you some habit. That was like a little kiddish that I yeah, had. Yeah, I like that. The it's one the possibility is that it's nature. nature the right. other possibility is that it's history. Mm. But now there's something else that he's alluding to. What's the burning city? Spirituality. The, no, close. No. The, the person's heart. Avram's heart is the burning city. 
and the emergence of the master of the city saying, I am the master, is saying, I am the one that is stirring your heart, and where am I? I'm inside, not outside. Now, I will read to you a disciple of, uh, of the Meashiloach, who says this. V'kach shamati, do you have the English here? Yes, you have the English. V'tzidkat ha-tzadik, of Tzadik Homi Dublin. V'kach shamati al-hitzitzala bal habira. Referring to the Midrash, that, it, that the master of the house came upon him. Lashon alav, to come upon, to dawn on, right? Ratzalomar, she'amar lo, she'ata ba'atzmecha. You, yourself, Gam came Michlal Bal Habira. You are the Bal Habira. Oh my gosh. Ki alo kolo lamro imze. The aim of Avamro esh klal la sik shiesh Bal Habira. Ulevaksho. Vizesha atamivakesh. And that no one else is looking. The fact that you are the one who is stirred and you are the one who is looking. Zegam humitsidi. And that's me in you stirring you up. And I dwell in your heart. This is really, if you should put on your theological seatbelts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a taste of me. No, no. Oh, That's the, why the Midrash uses the term ani. <coughs> what does it say? Ani bal habira. I. Who's the I? It's a double entendre. What is it? I. He had a revelation. I am the Baal Habira. Oh, and that's God. And it's Avram. And that's, that's why I use the term Ani. Ani has to be put in quotation marks and three exclamation points. Underlined in bold. Ani Baal Habira is the answer to Avram Avinu's quest. Where is God? How is this happening? Just contemplate yourself. And you will find that God is inside of you. Not in history. They can be, and not in nature. They, those could be stepping stones for Avram, right? but the stepping stones are leading inwardly. <clears throat> yes, there well, is a question. So implicit in, in this reading, to me it sounds like uh, once Avram recognizes the stirring of his heart, uh, it's ki'ilu, like him saying hineni, because he says hineni later. Which is these? I'm I'm here and I'm ready to open up to whatever your will is, but just by recognizing the stirring of his heart, he's like, oh wait wait, what's going on here? Oh I'm in it. Oh I'm. This is it. Yeah, I am it. I found the root of my life, and it's God. Right, which is like the ultimate hineni. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you for downloading this episode of Pardes Live and Mini Series featuring Rabbi Herzl Hefter. For more digital content, please visit elmod.pardes.org. If you're interested in joining us in 2020 for the Summer Pardes Learning Seminar, please contact seminar at pardes.org.il.